1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. It is our number two of extra point on this Wednesday, November 15th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 p.m. as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with that KDOS1060 app. Really cool prize, hardwood tickets for you. All you have to do is download the KDOS 1060 app and register. That is all you need to do to be entered for those potential tickets as the contest is currently ongoing. Let's reset the scene, though, with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question. I'm sure everyone knows by now uh, that Bill's offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, has been relieved of his duties, turning things over to Joe Brady. So should the now 5-5 five and five Bills have fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey? The mass is still firmly on the no side of things at 75% of the vote. Yes is trailing at 25%. We'll officially provide our answer and thoughts on the Bills around 1230 today. On Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060, a baseball question, who would be the best long-term fit for the Cubs? Cody Bellinger, who was with Chicago last year, free agent this year. Cody Bellinger, 70% of the vote. Juan Soto trailing at 30%. He is with the Padres and rumors about him being traded starting to heat up here over the last couple of days. That question as well will be answered around uh, 1230. Your phone calls, if you'd like to chime in, feel free to do so. We'll take the calls around 1215 today in the number 602-260-1060. Yesterday, the college football playoff committee released their latest rankings, and we have a new number one, Georgia. Uh, 57, or um, excuse me, 52 to 17 win over Ole Miss last week. On top of that, two weeks ago, it was a 30 to 21 victory over Missouri here. We've certainly been talking all season long about maybe some of the lackluster performances to start the season against lesser opponents for Georgia. But the net narrative, I think, has to go out the window because this offense is humming right now. It's also healthy. I mean, it's the first game that they've had all their preferred guys out there. Unfortunately, their defense is now taking some shots with multiple injuries on that side of the ball. But you know, their defense, uh, you know, obviously their defense was going to take a step or two back. They just had too many stud players drafted in the NFL the last two years, and they might, you know, they, they certainly got some very good young players. But they're not going to be able to get perform at the level that we've seen from the last two national championship teams. Uh, but offensively, I don't think it's any accident that they've got all their dudes healthy, really, for the first time this year on on that side of the ball. And uh, what we've seen the last two weeks against ranked opponents, against uh, you know, Georgia, excuse me, against uh, Missouri and also Old Miss, is kind of what we you know, I don't know if we, I don't know if we expected this kind of offensive explosion, but. Certainly, uh, they're operating at their highest level of the season, and I don't think it's going to fall off any less uh, some of these injured guys that are back now, unfortunately, would get re-injured. 
So number two on this list now is Ohio State. They're coming off of a 38-3 win over Michigan State. It was a really impressive game from Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, Their resume does include victories over Notre Dame and Penn State. Are you in agreement with them falling to number two? I said three weeks ago that they should have been number two. Um, I understood at the time. Uh, The Notre Dame and uh, Penn State victories uh, had a little more juice at the start of November than they do right now. And those games, uh, those two wins, I think, lose more juice as the season has continued. Also, bad news uh, for Ohio State this week. I think it was anticipated to some extent, but Lathan Ransom, who is from South Point High School in Tucson, uh, one of their starting safeties, uh, he's out for the rest of the – likely out for the rest of the regular season. It seems like he's out for the regular season. Uh, and that, that includes the, the Big Ten championship game if they would uh, be lucky enough to beat Michigan this year. Uh, then you have number three is Michigan, a 24-15 to win over Penn State. And uh, there were no passes attempted there in the second half. It was all running plays, just a complete flex of dominance there. And now they're in a situation where Jim Harbaugh is going to court on Friday. He's excited. He's looking forward to being able to talk. Uh, a judge, though, will grant a restraining order or not. If he does, then Harbaugh will be able allowed to coach uh it'll be a restraining order on the three-game suspension if not then Harbaugh continues to be suspended this week it is a game against Maryland before their game against Ohio State yeah they did not have a called uh you know passing play after seven basically they had some called passing plays but McCarthy ended up scrambling but they didn't actually run the ball from the seven minute of the second uh, second quarter for the rest of the game. Seven seven fifty one in the second quarter. I have written down here. Uh, they didn't throw past the rest of the game, even though there were some called pass plays. He just scrambled. And speaking of McCarthy, they're now twenty two and one with him as a starting quarterback. The only loss was in the uh, the game here against TCU in the college football playoff. Number four remains the same with Florida State. Uh, The committee said don't undersell the Miami-FSU rivalry as well, and that's been going on for years. We thought FSU was the dominant team in the game, as maybe some thought that UW would leapfrog them here. Yeah, uh, that's a crock about the Miami-Florida State thing. Uh, Miami's basically not any good, and they were down to their third quarterback by the end of the game. Number five does remain Washington here. They beat Utah to stay at 10-0. and They got a big game Saturday on the road in Corvallis. And they're an underdog in that game, which I wasn't counting on. <laughs> no value in betting Oregon State as a favorite. Uh, so I'm not going to be betting on that game anyway because I still have Oregon State at 10-1 to win the conference, and they, they're not dead as far as uh, winning the conference yet. Then we have Oregon at number six. They took care of business against USC. They'll face ASU right here in Tempe on Saturday. And then just kind of looking ahead, depends what happens between UW and Oregon State this weekend. Then you have Oregon and Oregon State next weekend. Could be some really fun times ahead in the Pac-12 with Oregon State being an integral central part of it all. Yeah, I think we're kind of down to three good teams now, right? Because, you know, like all these other teams, uh, everybody thought we were so good, including me, uh, to some extent in September. You know, the Washington States and the Colorados and the UCLAs and the USC and the Utahs, they're all not really all that good, as it turns out.
Yeah, and I think, you know, there's been a clear separation between UW, Oregon, Oregon State, and they're all playing each other now here in the next couple of weeks. Um, I would say that Utah has some, if they just, they've had too many injuries, I think, to really be a part of the conversation. Uh, more than any team in college football, to my, in my, at least let me rephrase that. I think they've had more significant injuries to their key guys than anybody in college football. Uh, at the end of the game last week, you know, everybody you know, bagged on them for not doing in the second half against Washington. They're down to their third left tackle, who was basically, you know, you know hardly ever playing ever in even special teams before last week. So that had a lot to do with their second half collapses. You got a third year, your third left tackle. This is college football. I mean, teams do not have depth in the NFL, let alone in college football. And so, you know, I thought that the uh, the second half criticism about Utah last week was completely you know, unwarranted because you you find me a team that's on their third left tackle in any level of football, you expect them to do okay, really. And then for USC, I'm curious what you think about this because the expectations preseason were high uh, because you have Kayla Williams returning, Heisman Trophy winner, but there were still uh, areas on defense that needed to be addressed. I know that they went to the transfer portal. You still had Alex Grinch, though, starting the season as the D coordinator. And then when you look at the offense and what has ended up developing here with the offensive line, were they really even in a position to be um, as high? Like, were the expectations not really matching the reality? Not in my opinion, and I was pretty steadfast in this from the start of the season. I wasn't going to, I wasn't believing on you in USC, but yeah, Lincoln Riley needs to get the like a hundred percent of the criticism here. We saw the same thing at OU. Grinch was with him there, and he, you know, got good for Alex Grinch. He moved from Norman, Oklahoma to Los Angeles. My God, that's a wonderful thing for anybody. Uh, who wouldn't do that? So that's that's a good thing for him, but. Lincoln Riley deserves to be trashed, and I mean trashed. This is, he's an offensive coordinator, and his offense gives his defense even a less chance to succeed because they run a no-huddle offense, and they're, they're, you know, the defense is obviously not good, but he doesn't help matters any, and this is all his fault, all of it. The other team you mentioned, UCLA, uh, and the narrative this week has been about Chip Kelly and his future uh, moving forward with the Bruins. I'm just curious, though, to the point of losing depth, you continued to lose. Uh, you know, you started Dante Moore. Maybe that wasn't the best idea. He wasn't quite ready to go. You go to Chase Garbers, and you're seeing a little bit of offensive life, but then Garbers gets hurt. Then Dante Moore comes in. He gets hurt. So you're also losing depth at that particular position. Is it maybe premature uh, to think that Kelly shouldn't be the Bruins head coach? Oh, I think it's a big talk. I'm Big talk in college football, part of one of the big topics this week. And you know, there's a lot going on. You mentioned Harbaugh and then obviously the Jimbo Fisher situation and you know who's going to be the next of the 700 candidates mentioned for Texas A&M. <laughs> but you know, I think the, uh, the Kelly thing is still at least uh, somewhere on the burner. Uh, maybe not in the front burner, but it's somewhere on the burner. Uh, so, you know, he, it just has not worked out. And I didn't even realize until this morning that they lost a couple offensive linemen in that game to injury against ASU last week because 
quite frankly, that ASU game was so bad to watch, I didn't watch every play. Uh, getting back to the college football rankings here. So six was Oregon, seven Texas here. They squeaked out a win over TCU. But I think the big concern for Texas moving forward is the loss of their running back, Jonathan Brooks. And they absolutely, though, have to, as a, as a team, finish strong here. Yeah, that's true. And uh, you know, I wonder if uh, the, the conference is going to drag them down, too. I mean, if they play, you know, Oklahoma State lost by 100 last week. At UCF, and UCF was bad before that game. And uh, if Oklahoma State's playing Texas in the conference championship game, how's that going to damage uh, Texas as far as the rankings go, etc.? Also, it's had we've had three weeks now, and there hasn't been at least the first two weeks of the rankings. Nobody in the top eight is lost, and so this is just continues to be. November, the Cal- this is a great PR scam for ESPN. Scam is the proper word here. It uh, gives them some kind of ratings. I mean, they readjusted their entire college basketball doubleheader last night to get the college football rankings crammed into a half an hour, and nothing changed uh, other than other than obviously Georgia number one, but the top eight are still the same. But, you know, the, the ESPN, like the first week of the rankings during SportsCenter, right before the rankings were revealed, had this you know, big graphic of, Really, what you know, the November rankings don't mean a damn thing once the actual Final Four are released. Uh, you know, they, 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 I, I wish I'd written this down. My apologies, but it was a very low percentage of the teams that were, say, ranked in the top four to start November were actually in the Final Four by the end of the uh, actual year. And that's we've had like what is this eight or nine years now of the, of the CFP. So th- this is, this whole thing in the month of November is a scam. Uh, don't pay any attention to it until December. Uh, number eight on this list is Alabama. Bama is essentially on a bye this week as they're playing Chattanooga. But certainly Bama is primed to get themselves in this thing if some certain certain things shake out. Yeah, like beat beat Georgia. <laughs> exactly. They might need to do them. They might need to do that because it's. Uh, it's it, I understand that you know Alabama lost at home to Texas, but just based on what you see right now, uh, you know, case can be made that there's not a team in college football that's improved more than Alabama uh, this year. They're obviously Milrow has become a quarterback who is not just a guy who is looking to run all the time, and just you know, basically early in the season was either he chucked it down the field or ran. Now he's actually completing passes that aren't chucking it down the field. Uh, you know, short passes, all passes for the most part. And their defense, uh, which was shaky in some areas at the start of the year, that's seemingly gotten much better too. So uh, we'll see how this goes. But, you know, they're, they're, they're basically, you know, I don't know how many people actually realize this, but Alabama and Georgia, they're in the SEC championship game. They both clinched their bursts last week. Yes, they did. Uh, number nine is Missouri. They jumped up five spots after after a 36-7 beatdown of Tennessee. Um, th- th- does this Tigers team just keep surprising you? <laughs> wrong person to ask. There's no team I've been more wrong about this year. I think it's four times I've been on a Missouri game and lost them you know, all this year. Uh, not all bets, but in the, you know, the pool I'm in and uh, so forth and – I got no clue, uh, but they're ten. They're going to be ten and two. Their last two games were against Florida and Arkansas, so you could combine those two teams, and they're not going to be Missouri right now. 
uh, because, you know, they got – in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida and Arkansas both moved on from their head coaches at the end of the year. So we'll see what's up with that. But they're going to be 10-2 and two with losses. They blew that game at home against LSU. That was, you know, Brady Cook just completely screwed up that game in the fourth quarter and, you know, basically lost a game for Missouri. Now he's won plenty of games for Missouri the last two years, but that was all him. And then they lost to Georgia in a game that they, you know, you know scoreboard-wise, it looked like they had a chance. But if you watch the game, they really didn't have a chance. Last week, it was a, you know, basically Cody Schrader, uh, who is a really good all-around running back. And he came from like a Division 12 school or something. And he's been unbelievable. He had a 204 yards rushing last week against Tennessee. Tennessee entered that game as the number one rushing defense in the conference, and that's the SEC. And after that game, they dropped all the way to fourth. <laughs> and that's, a, that's quite, a, quite a fall this deep into the season for any stat like that. Number 10 uh, is Louisville here. I think when you're looking at this, their next game is against Miami this Saturday, and Florida State absolutely needs Louisville to win this game. That's true. And if, uh, if Louisville wins, they clinch a spot in the ACC title game against Florida State. Uh, so you're 100% correct about that. Uh, yeah, I would think that you know, between Miami down to the third quarterback, I guess they put Van Dyke back in there last week after the uh, after Thompson, I believe it's his name, the guy that started last week for them, uh, got hurt in the last couple of minutes. That was a bad-looking injury, by the way. I hope he's okay. Uh, but it didn't look good at all. Uh, but, yeah, after he got hurt against Florida State, and they put everything they had into that Florida State game and lost. Even though Miami's at home, I think this is an awful situation for Miami and I would expect Louisville, who's not my favorite team. I like their, their running game, and I like their defense. I don't like their quarterback at all. But I would expect Louisville to roll in this game. Some notables here. I can't believe Iowa is somehow ranked 16th with an offense such as they have. Uh, they are 16th in the CFP. U of A, though, has moved up to now number 17. Tulane is the only group of five schools sitting at number 24. And then if you just look at what's going on with the Pac-12, you have UW at 5, Oregon 6, Oregon State 11, U of A 17, and Utah now 22nd. Okay, I, I probably, who's the first team you mentioned there? Of the Pac-12? No, the, oh. uh, the whole thing. Oh, the, Iowa. The, I just was despondent so that they're at 16. Well, they have the... They may not be a team in college football that has a better offense slash special teams combination than Iowa. Excuse me, defense and special teams better than Iowa. They are unbelievable on both sides, uh, in, in both those areas, and that's why they have a chance to win no matter how bad their offense is, and sometimes no matter how bad the opponent is. But you know, their their offense is horrendous. Their defense is spectacular. They've got like five or six NFL guys. And their special teams, they make a play every week, at least one play every week. And, you know, special teams, last week against Rutgers, Rutgers is one of the best special teams in the teams in the country, too. And Iowa feasted on them in special teams. There was a, a quiz or something, a poll that I was uh, looking at the other day that was talking about, like, which university has produced some of the best tight ends and Iowa was you know one of those yeah. options absolutely absolutely but this offense right now is just has regressed so much that not even their staple of tight ends are going to be able to shine well, well that's because he got hurt like the, he's an NFL player he got hurt in like the second game of the season he's out for the year 
We will take your calls on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060. The Phoenix Suns, they are on the hardwood tonight. Carving out time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Fifteenth, Bob Kemp, Caleb Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. A little bit of phone call time if you'd like it. 602-260-1060. As it is, though, for the Phoenix Suns, they are set to host the Timberwolves tonight, 7 p.m. on 3 TV. And from an earlier report from Sham Sharinia, uh, it looks like we are going to have the first regular season game that features the big three, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, as well as Kevin Durant tonight. Uh, so that should be interesting to see how these guys are going to play together and see if that helps improve some of those fourth quarter numbers that we've been seeing from the Sun so far in the regular season. As it is, though, for the Timberwolves, they're coming off of a 104 to 101 win yesterday over the Warriors, but it was not without altercation. Jaden McDaniels was ejected. So, too, was Clay Thompson. And then Draymond Green put Rudy Gobert in a chokehold. He also was ejected for Draymond this happens to be now his 18th time being ejected including the postseason but pertaining to tonight's game this is a back-to-back for the Timberwolves this might be the first time ever that a lot of people in the NBA liked Draymond Green because I'm guessing a lot of players in the NBA would like to put a chokehold on Rudy Gobert so yeah if you gave me a list of like if you gave me like 10 you know a chance to guess what two players are most likely to have some kind of conflict in an NBA game? Uh, and I would uh, include uh, Green and Gobert, uh, maybe even the top five, probably, let alone top ten. So good with that. Timberwolves have been really good so far this year, eight and two, and uh, they certainly have gotten a lot of production after uh, several players. And uh, we'll see how this goes. But uh, yeah, Carl, Carl Anthony Towns, who's had. Some big-time games against the Suns in the past. We'll see if that continues tonight. He's had big-time games against anybody. Anthony Edwards seems to be the guy that has made the most improvement, though, for Minnesota going back to the summer and obviously the start of this season. Yeah, Anthony Edwards has been fantastic. And I'm just wondering, you know, wasn't he kind of part of uh, Team USA and maybe just kind of having that experience for him catapulted him into a whole new stratosphere for what he's doing with the Timberwolves? Yeah, he actually had he's had some good moments in the NBA in the past. You know, they've been in the playoffs here at least two years ago. They were. Uh, so, yeah, and he had some good moments during that series. I forgot who they played. But, uh, you know, you, he got your attention. And he was a big-time – he might have been, you know, depending on which recruiting service you believe in. But if he wasn't the number one high school recruit in the country, uh, he was in the top you know, three or four. Uh, and uh, so we saw the ability that he had when he was at Georgia. And he is uh, – he's, he's – probably I think it's a safe to say it's a surprise that he's this good this soon but I'm guessing there are people that thought that he could eventually be this good 
I don't really know what the rhyme or reason is for when games are in-season group play games or when they're not. I don't believe tonight is an in-season group play game between these two teams. However, uh, it comes down to just looking at where the Suns are. They're currently in the West Group A. The Lakers are leading that group at 2-0. and The Jazz are also at 2-0. and The Blazers are at 1-1. and The Suns are at 0-1. And, and the Grizzlies are at 0-3 in this group stage play uh, thing that we're supposed to try to figure out here soon. You're asking me about this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you're the wrong person to be asking about. The The only group that matters is when we get to April and we know the, the teams that are in the playoffs. Those That's the group I care about and pay attention to. Until then, I could care less. Yeah, I'm just really curious to see how this is going to if the, how this is going to come to fruition for the NBA and if there is going to be any uh in uh improved interest if you will. Well, it hasn't been interest from the players because you know, some of these, you know, so-called in-season tournament games, guys are still sitting them out. They're not playing them. Not all, you know, that there's you know, certainly guys are it's not like everybody sits out, but there have been plenty of games that uh have been quote in tournament games or in season, whatever the hell they call this thing, where there's been some guys that have sat out these games. So the Suns and the Timberwolves with uh, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant expected to be uh, together for the first time in the regular season will begin tonight at 7 p.m. on 3 TV. On the other side of the break, we will dive into today's poll questions in regards to the Bills. They're sitting at 5-5. Five and five. They made some changes after Monday night's loss to the Broncos, firing offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. We'll discuss the Bills and that particular uh, removal of Ken Dorsey and the Twitter poll question in regards to baseball. Who is the best long-term fit for the Cubs, Cody Bellinger or Juan Soto? We'll dive into those on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on kdos am 1060 online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KTUS 1060 app. here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 p.m. as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's get right into it. The poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Uh, you know by now the Bills have made some coaching changes, turning the offense over to Joe Brady, firing offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. Should the now 5-5 five and five Bills have fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey? Yes or no, Bob? Well, they, they should not have fired him on Tuesday. Uh, they should have fired him after last season uh, when it was already clear that Josh Allen's bad habits had returned. That uh, was, of course, after uh, Brian Dable left to become the Giants head coach before it was at January of, like, 2022, I guess. Uh, but, you know, they should have just made this move last year. 
Dorsey's blame this season, I think, has certainly been, I think, minimal, quite frankly. I know their offensive numbers of late have been down, but Josh Allen's not healthy. There's, that's pretty clear. But the Bills also, they're, they're not good right now because their defense lost their best defensive lineman and uh, Daquan Jones. They lost their all-pro linebacker, right, in Matt Milano, and also their best cover corner in Trey White to season-ending injuries. When those dudes were healthy, and White actually got hurt when they played Miami, but when they were all in the field, at least at the start of that game, they dominated the Dolphins. And at that at that particular time, the Bills actually resembled a Super Bowl contender. But like I said, you know the Dorsey thing, I understand why he's gone now, but they should have fired him at the end of last year. So the Bills have not scored more than 25 points since week four. Uh, but it's interesting because the offense is still sort of moving. It's just not turning into points. They rank third in EPA per play, and they rank third in yards per play with six. However, Josh Allen, 14 turnovers, 11 interceptions for him so far this season. And when you look at this offense this year, the Bills, 21% of their drives ended in turnovers since week five. That number in weeks one through four was just 12%. So certainly there's something different there by taking care of the football. Um, To answer the question, though, I think if you are just isolating what happened on Monday night, then plenty of other attention should be focused on ball security. Plenty of other attention should be focused on defense. Plenty of other attention should be focused on special teams, uh, having 12 men on the field, allowing the Broncos to uh, get out of their whole mess of a situation that they had trying to win the game there. So with all of that in mind, um, you know, it, it came after that game. So maybe that's the part that's a little peculiar. But I don't know that this offense uh, and here's what I don't know, though, is What are we attributing these mistakes to for Josh Allen? Are we attributing it to that the play calls just aren't things that he's comfortable with, that he feels like he has to try to do too much and he's playing out of himself, out of his comfort zone, whereas Brian Dable's play calls allowed him to stay a little bit more in his comfort zone and just allow his pure athleticism and talent to take over. You don't need to do too much. There are playmakers everywhere on this team for you. Get them the ball. Um, So I guess that at the end of the day, that's what you kind of have to pinpoint it to is that the offense is not clicking for Josh Allen in the same way that it was before uh, with Brian Dayball, and, and you have to make some sort of change to see if that ignites something better for this offense. The only thing I disagree with is I don't think there are playmakers all over the field uh, at all. Uh, so you know, that may, that's, we may have a difference of opinion there. And also, I don't think there's any doubt that since he suffered this, sh- you know, this shoulder thing, is a, it, this is an issue. Uh, you know, they, they had the Thursday night game, which I guess was now three or four games ago, uh, which uh, when he went into the tent and then the Bills tried to deny that he had a shoulder thing, but obviously there was something going on there. Then his downfield throwing attempts are way down since then because he is having problems getting the ball down the field. Question for you then about playmakers. Um, do you not then look at uh, Stefan Diggs, Dalton Kincaid, James Cook as uh, like, where, where do you put them then in their respective categories of their positions? Diggs is good. 
Kincaid is the first-year guy who I think it's way way too early to assess him. Cook is a guy who can't run between the tackles, and uh, he's been a fumbling machine not just the other night. He fumbled at Florida State, uh, and he's fumbling in the NFL. So all these playmakers, I don't quite understand that. Gabe Davis is a much better blocker. He's a tremendous blocker, maybe the best wide receiver blocker in the NFL. He's a much better blocker than he is a receiver. So where are all these playmakers? The masses are on the no side of things. Uh, should not have fired Ken Dorsey at 72% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 28%. This is KDOS1060.com. I will have one note on the NFL before we get to the poll question here on Twitter, shifting to Major League Baseball. Uh, previously, Ian Rappaport was reporting for tomorrow's game, Thursday night, where we were so very much looking forward to this AFC North battle between uh, the Bengals and the Ravens. The Bengals have ruled out wide receiver T. Higgins, uh, defensive end Sam Hubbard, and somehow, though, Trey Hendrickson with his hyperextended knee from Sunday is going to play. For the Ravens, though, Marlon Humphrey is doubtful and offensive tackle Ronnie Stanley is out. You can make a pretty easy case. I don't think it's really difficult to even argue this, that those are two of the three most important players for Baltimore. On to the Twitter poll question at KDOS AM 1060. Who would be the best long-term fit for the Cubs? Cody Bellinger or Juan Soto are the options here. Cody Bellinger last season with Chicago, a 306 batting average, 26 home runs, and he seemingly figured it out after Los Angeles Dodgers moved on from him. But the question here is, is this one-year sample size with Cody, Cody Bellinger, does it mean he is back? Are you willing to back up the Brinks trucks to bring him back? Um, it did seem like, though, the relationship that he had with Chicago, and, and I know now you're going to have an entirely new manager with Craig Council there, but it did seem like the relationship was good, that that wasn't, wasn't an area of issue. Uh, Bellinger also plays some good defense, as it is for Juan Soto. He's a few years younger than Cody Bellinger. Um, I guess I would go in the direction of Cody Bellinger. I'm on the other side. I think the only argument for Bellinger, as you mentioned, is defense. He's a superior defender. He's an elite center fielder. He's actually a pretty high-level first baseman if needed, and he played both spots for the Cubs last year. Soto, at uh, best, is an average defender, and wherever he signs his next contract, uh, he's a free agent after the 2024 season, he's going to be a DH pretty quickly, maybe immediately after he signs that contract. However... Soto, uh, five years younger. He's also a far more versatile offensive player. I'm not exactly sure how Bellinger, who couldn't hit a high fastball for the last two years he played in Los Angeles, suddenly hit five fastballs again last year when he was with the Cubs. But Soto, he he usually hits for a higher batting average than Bellinger. He's much more consistent power-wise. And he's an elite, and I mean elite, uh, master of the strike zone. He has an unbelievable belief of a strike zone for a player that would be like 35, let alone 25. And uh, I don't think there's any doubt be between those two if it was really, really their choice. And you know, there's other things to factor in here. Obviously money, and if they trade for Soto, what are they going to give up, etc. But you know, this was a popular topic of discussion. Uh, with the uh, the owner of the Padres uh, dying here in the last you know 24 to 48 hours, 
and uh, the, the, the Padres, there was actually talk that Soto might be moved this winter before this happened, but you know, are the Padres going to still have the same, same financial commitment uh, with whatever, however they're going ahead with their, their ownership in the future that they did with their, unfortunately, now deceased owner? The masses are on the Bellinger side of things at 70% of the vote. Juan Soto trailing at 30%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. In hour number one, we had a conversation going through the athletics power rankings for this week in the NFL with a bit of a twist to it in terms of, uh, you know, your coaching, the perceived coaching status for 2024 of each respective team. But I thought it was interesting to take a look at the coaches that are currently uh, with their clubs, those that have been coaching at least seven seasons or longer uh, with their current teams, and then also looking at the teams that are more relatively or coaches that are more relatively new three seasons or less with their current teams and what we kind of uh, think and who we might think uh, rises to the top of that class. Interestingly enough, here are eight coaches in the NFL that have been with their respective teams for seven seasons or longer. You have John Harbaugh with the Ravens for his 16th season. Sean McDermott with the Bills. I couldn't believe this. It's already been seven seasons. This is his seventh season. Andy Reid with the Chiefs, 11th season. Bill Belichick with the Patriots, 24th season. Mike Tomlin with the Steelers, 17th season. Sean McVay with the Rams, 7th season. Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers, 7th season. And Pete Carroll at 72 with the Seahawks in his 14th season yeah obviously if you've lasted that long you're winning a lot of games for the most part in fact in every case there i think they've won a lot of games <laughs> unless i'm you know i've missed somebody there uh so that's going to happen and i'm guessing on the list that's uh, the next list is going to be they inherited really bad teams and they haven't gotten much better I'm just kind of curious here because, you know, each has had, you know, strengths. I think right now the focus really heavily is on Sean McDermott with the Bills. And we had the question in regards to the move that they made uh, moving on from Ken Dorsey. So just kind of where that is. Injuries have certainly decimated their defense, as you pointed out. Uh, So the focus is there. The focus is also on the Patriots with Bill Belichick in his 24th season. Is it time to part ways with with him? Um, Mike Tomlin, it, it doesn't seem like it matters what year it is. He continues to have like the same type of team. The question, though, for him, uh, we know the above 500 record. At some point, though, should it be um, a higher standard with playoff wins? I guess depends on how you want to you, who you're going to hire. You, the other thing, if you fire Belichick, who are you going to hire? If you fire Tomlin, who are you going to hire? Always fantastic questions when you're bouncing those back and forth about what to do and how to move forward. Um, then you have on the list of coaches that are in three seasons or less with their current teams. This is actually 15 coaches. You have Sean Payton, uh, obviously a veteran coach, though, but it is his first season with the Broncos. D'Amico Ryan's first season with the Texans. Shane Steichen, first season with the Colts. Doug Peterson, veteran coach, won a Super Bowl, but it's his second season with the Jaguars. Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins in his second season. We know Jonathan Gannon here with the Cardinals in his first season. Arthur Smith, he's under fire with the Falcons in his third season. Frank Reich with the Panthers uh, in his first season. I'm actually hearing some possibility that he doesn't make it out of his first season uh, or get a second season with the Panthers. 
Matt Eberflus with the Bears in his second season, Dan Campbell with the Lions in his third season, and we talked a little bit about the Lions and Dan Campbell earlier in hour one. Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings in his second season, Dennis Allen with the Saints in his second season. He's had previous stints with the Raiders. Brian Dayball in his second season with the Giants. Nick Sirianni in his third season with the Eagles. And then Todd Bowles in his second stint as a head coach with the Bucks in his second season. The guy that stands out for me is O'Connell. I think he did a really good job last year. You know, the people gave him grief, I guess, because they were lucky to win close games. This year, they're winning games with a whole bunch of injuries. You know, Ryan Flores, I think, deserves a lot of credit, too, because their defense has certainly improved during the season. But it seems that, you know, they don't have Jefferson or Cousins, and they're still winning games. They have, like, a winning streak going on right now. I don't know if I'm going to be picking them this week at Denver. In fact, I'm sure I'm not, but whatever. But I think that O'Connell, two years now, different ways, has got that team to win games and overachieve. The other thing about the Vikings that has been pretty impressive, too, has been the development this season of that defense under Brian Flores because the defense started out and you kind of we all kind of had questions here of, uh oh, like this defense is giving up a ton of yards, a ton of points. Uh, They certainly have clamped down here of late. They're still giving up some yards. Well, maybe not quote yards. They're giving up some big plays, but that's part of the nature of his defense because he's he's aggressive for sure. So you're going to be susceptible, susceptible? There we go, susceptible. Uh, I should never say that on the air. Uh, you're going to be uh, you know, you know, vulnerable <laughs> to big plays, and that's how that's going to hurt them a couple of times. But he's clearly done a good job. But I'm really impressed with O'Connell. As I mentioned, you know, two straight years, completely different scenario as to how they're winning games. I agree with you on O'Connell there. The other name that stands out to me that has just kind of dealt with a lot and I'm just curious to see how it unfolds for him Shane Steichen with the Colts because you start off thinking you're going to have Anthony Richardson Uh, you also think you're going to have Jonathan Taylor you have to go through all of that not having Taylor now Anthony Richardson's out for the rest of the season so I'm just curious how the off the field things translating to on the field and how he is going to progress in that I have zero read on Steichen I have no idea it's a fascinating thing to it could it could be a good thing i'm sorry it could be a good thing i just have no way to evaluate him at this point yeah i think that's why he's so fascinating to me is because the situation has not been i wouldn't say the situation that he walked into uh was great and he's kind of figured out ways to, to to handle things they've won some games here and there they've also had some disappointing performances it's just kind of been an uh, up and down i'm curious to see once some of the you know anthony richardson comes back this sort of thing kind of unfolds and settles itself you get some offensive line yeah. pieces how it all turns out for him well, you have, to assume, you have to assume that Anthony Richardson's ever going to be any good, which I've got major questions about because his accuracy is not good. And it wasn't at Florida, and it wasn't in a small stint with the Colts. That's also where I'm kind of curious, can he get the best out of Anthony Richardson? Uh, we wrap up this edition of Extra Point next. Have you downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone.
up this Wednesday, November 15th edition of Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. But, Bob, it's currently thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever and whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also, our guest today, uh, fantasy football talk, including some Cardinals talk. We don't do that very often in fantasy football the last few years. We talked about Kyler Murray and Trey McBride and then got into other fantasy football items with John McKechnie from rotowire.com. Tomorrow at 10.15, we will preview Ravens and Bengals. Luke Jones will join us, our longtime Ravens guy, so we'll talk to Luke. Also, our sound of the day, courtesy of ESPN, WSCR, the uh, Cubs flagship in Chicago for the Bellinger highlight, uh, KWFN, and also NFL Network. Special thanks, as always, to, as always, to Kayla, uh, Corey, and Aaron. And uh, Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Up next from 1 to 3 p.m., it is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, and the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster-Bierstein from 5 to 6. Today is Wednesday, uh, so we do have some NAU hoops action for you as NAU basketball is taking on Seattle. Pre-game set for 7.30 p.m. and tip-off at 8 right here on KDUS AM 1060. Speaking of hoops, the Suns, they're hosting the Timberwolves tonight, 7 p.m. on 3TV, and it's going to be Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, or Kevin Durant for the first time together in the regular season, so we'll see how all of that unfolds in tonight's contest. And the point spread is adjusted accordingly. Uh, six and a half. I even saw a seven in Las Vegas here in the last couple of hours. Ooh, seven. Um, a judge ruled that there are now two voting members of the Pac-12, which are Oregon State and Washington <laughs> State. So, hello, Pac-2. They're voting to stay? Is that what they're voting on? Well, I guess it is a little bit more nuanced than that. It is, uh, you know, okay. where the funds okay. are going, how things are being oh, appropriated, okay. et cetera. Who the hell are they going to play? I, I don't I don't know. This is uh, this is going to be a wild off season for them. I, I imagine that this is going to start to kick into full gear once football season is over to figure out well, what they're I, going to do. Yeah, the easy thing is, you know, there's got to be some kind of merger with the Mountain West. They got to save both those conferences at this point, don't they? I assume that's what's going to happen. And San Diego State, the sleeping giant for 100 years, along with ASU. Uh, I've heard those terms literally since the 70s. Uh, but, you know, San Diego State is going to have a new football coach, and maybe that'll help their program a little bit because uh, they've seemingly been trying to get over the hump literally since the 70s. Well, it's. Interesting as well, um, because San Diego State there for a while, it was looking like they were going to join the Pac-12 after you had uh, uh, the Big the, the Big Ten getting USC and UCLA. So who was going to join them? Thought that that was going to be a thing. Turned out it wasn't a thing. The whole conference ends up dissolving, yeah. essentially. So now maybe a couple of the Pac-12 schools get in there with San Diego State, but just kind of wild how that all turned out. Yeah, it was going to be San Diego State and Boise, right? So it hasn't quite worked out either way. Boise's football program gone to hell, and they changed coaches this week, too. Thursday, looking forward to